Morning, church. How many of you like that video? Okay, look at me. Just everybody look at me. Go like this. Because today we're in for a fight. Can I hear an amen? amen. We're going to fight. How many did that? I mean, raise your hand if you did it. That's lame. Let's try it one more time. Ready? On three. One, two, three. good. Some of you are so sweet, I can't even imagine you doing that, but that's cool. All right. Overcomers, we're on our third message, and today it's called Fear Not. And I really want to dive into this, but I really want you to pay attention, because we're going to look at some truths that we're going to take to battle fear. And so we're going to talk about fighting fear. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to really uh, help us to be in tune to the Holy Spirit, because you know what happens when when the preacher's preaching, right? We wander off. Our minds wander, all right? So we just ask the Lord to help us to tune in and to listen to the Holy Spirit. Father, we just come to you this morning. We thank you so much for uh, great music, Lord, and these great truths that, that fear is a liar. And uh, so, Father, I pray this morning that you'd allow us to tune in to the fears that Satan and our flesh put in our minds and our hearts that we live by help us to do battle with them and take our faith somewhere else and place it in your truth, Father. And I pray you'd help us to focus, to listen, and um, uh, as the Holy Spirit speaks, to figure out exactly what you're saying to each one of us because we are at different levels in our spiritual walk with you. And Father, we know that you're not subject to the preaching, we know that you can speak outside of it. So, Father, we just ask this morning, God, that each and every person here would hear from you. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Fear not. That's probably Jesus' favorite saying, I think, because um, 365 times he says, fear not. That, that's a lot of times. And so I think he wants us to fear not. And I really think he wants us to be overcomers. Amen. He wants us to overcome fear that seems to grip us and hold us back from literally being used by God and doing what he's called us to do. We've heard over the years that fear is the absence of faith. But I want to talk to you about fear is faith misplaced. All right? Fear is faith misplaced. It's faith in the wrong things. All right, we place our faith in the wrong things and they're not stable, amen? They're not really able to hold up and uh, our trust and our faith in them. Really, only God is capable of us putting our faith in and Him coming through with what we trust Him with, all right? You could actually say that fear is placing our faith in the what-ifs. The what-ifs. What if the economy, which everybody seems to place their faith in, what if it falls apart? What if you lose your job? What if someone you love and is close to you gets cancer? What if you never get married? What if your children fall away from the Lord? What if your family falls apart? What if your spouse has an affair? What if you get too old where you can't do what you used to do? What if? What if we could go on forever? What is your what if? Think about that for a moment. What is your 
what if? What are you placing your faith in? What's the worst case scenario that you're placing your faith in? So what I want to do, I want us to, to grab those what ifs, and I want us to learn how to fight in our minds, fight those things that we know we're not supposed to be putting our faith in. We know we're not supposed to be trusting in those things because they literally produce fear. What happens when you place your faith outside of Christ, you literally, listen very carefully, you limit the activity of God. We know that from a story where Jesus went to his hometown, and we've said this before, went to his hometown, and the Bible specifically states Jesus could not do many mighty miracles because of their unbelief. None of us want to handcuff the Lord in his work in our lives, in our family, in those people around us. Can I hear an amen? None of us want that. And yet our fears produce that unbelief. And it literally stifles the power of God. We want to fight that fear and take it from those what-ifs and in our mind move over to begin to place our faith in the things, the truths specifically of God. And I'm going to give you four truths this morning that I want you to write down and I want you to pay attention because these truths you can place your faith in. You literally can stand upon this truth that we're going to grab a hold of from the Word of God. And I want all of us to do that. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see. During Jesus' time with his disciples, what Jesus was trying to do was to get them to go from fearful to fearless. Okay? He was trying to get these disciples. Now, how many would say that they failed on several occasions? Raise your hand. You would say they failed over and over and over and over. But after three years, we find that after his resurrection, guess what they were? Fearless. And that's where the Lord wants to take us. From fearful, which many of us are fearful, all right? We're all at different places and we all fear different things. He wants to take us from fearless, or fearful, to fearless. And we can do that by identifying those what-ifs and grabbing in our mind and forcing these truths and believing in these truths and standing upon them in our minds. All right, so let's go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Let's read this story. Matthew chapter 8. Verse 23 through 27. We're going to read the whole story. Then Jesus began, or Jesus got into a boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the ship. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up. Now notice this, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now, this was a lot for the disciples to think they were drowning because they were what? Many of them were fishermen. I mean, they lived on the sea. So this had to be a fierce, a really strong storm. Now, notice Jesus' response. Now, here they're going down. They think they're going to drown. And Jesus says this in verse 26. Jesus responded, why are you fearful? Well, I'm about to drown. Amen? You have so little faith. Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm, verse 27, and the disciples were what? Amazed. Who is this man 
that the winds and the sea obey his words. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty, pretty shocking, isn't it? All right. But is it, doesn't it seem illogical for the Lord to ask the disciples to fear not when they're about to die? Jesus, remember, he's wanting to take them somewhere that they're not there yet. Okay, he wants to take them to fearless. And that's what Jesus is doing. It's like, I'm going to give you an illustration of me in grade school. One day I was walking home from school, and there was this kid. And I can't remember exactly why we got into a fight. It's hard for you to imagine me in a fight, right? So me and this kid get in a fight. And I'm doing pretty good until his friends start surrounding us. And I, they weren't surrounded, but that's what I thought. And so my faith in my abilities, what to do? And, you know, I'm pushing and I'm screaming. He's screaming. He's pushing. His friends are all screaming. You know, how many ever been in a fight like that? Yeah, you remember. So, so you guys really identify. Okay, so I'm a little bit afraid, but all of a sudden, this is no joke. I look up and here comes my brother walking home from school too. Now, I'm in third grade, second grade, something like that. He's four years older. So, well, there's a big difference in those four years, isn't it? So here he comes. Guess what happens to me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Man, I get louder and I start pushing harder because I know my brother's coming right here. And, and he's going he's gonna to fight for me. All right? That's what Jesus is trying to get the disciples to understand. Just exactly that. That, yes, the wind and the waves are powerful, but there's someone here that is more powerful than the wind and the waves. And that's what Jesus is trying to get. And that's what he does. He stands up and he just speaks to the wind and they literally obey him. Okay? And they're blown away. Scripture says, if you go to another gospel, it says that they were more afraid of Jesus after this than they were the storm because of what he did. Okay? It's, it's kind of like um, my brother, when, when he was coming this way, and I thought he was going to take up for me, he crossed the street, walked past us, walked back over. Because see, I'm only four houses away. There's two houses in the corner, and then there's two houses, and then there's our house. So he walks over and goes home as I'm fighting by myself. Everybody get the picture? He goes in the house, and this is my mom telling the story. She says, Jimmy walked in and said, Mom, your other son's fighting again. And that's all he says. So my mom screams at him. She runs out, and she rescues me. She runs down, and she rescues me. Okay? So the point is... My faith was in Jimmy, but it didn't pan out, did it? My fear, my faith, was, my faith was in him. It didn't pan out, so fear struck again. So fear was in and out. But when you place your faith in the Lord, and this is the principle, this is true, I want, I want you to write down, okay? That God is always with you and for you. I preached that, that truth several years ago. That God is with you and for you. All right? Not like my brother, okay? 
Not like the economy, not like your job. You could lose your job in a second. There's, there's all kinds of, you don't place your faith there because when you do, and most of us, sad to say, that's where our faith is. Can I hear an amen? We struggle in those areas. But let's look at, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Look what the Bible says. Boom. Okay. Do we have that? There we go. Okay. What shall we say to these things? Now, now Paul is getting ready to list a whole bunch of things. What shall we say to these wonderful things? If God is for us, notice this, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no one. That's the answer. There's no one, no thing. If we, if we will take our faith off of the what-ifs, what if the scenario that we've built in our mind, it could happen, and we place it in this the one who is always with us and always for us, he will never leave us nor forsake us as well. We, we, we wrestle as soon as we catch ourselves trusting in those what ifs and fear begins to place. If we'll back up and we say, okay, wait a minute. No, God is always with me and he's always for me. It will change that fear into faith. Let me go to one more scripture. Let's go to Isaiah uh, 43. And we're going to look at Isaiah a couple of times here. But Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2 says this. Now, talking about Israel, it says, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. Now, the application is to the church as well, and that's us. O Israel, the one who formed you says, Don't, do not be afraid. For I have ransomed you. That sounds like the church, doesn't it? I have called you by name. You are mine. Now notice these next verses. All right? So we've got, to, we've got to take our faith off of the what if because fear rises when we place it in the wrong things and put it over here. Because listen what the Word of God says. This is where our faith should be. When you go through, notice it says when. When you go through deep waters... What's it say? I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned. The, the uh, flames will not consume you. And then he goes on and on. And verse 5 says this. Therefore, do not be afraid. It's fantastic stuff. It's the word of God. It's principles. God is with us, but not only is he with us, but he's for us. Do you, do you believe this book? Are you willing to stand on this book and rip your heart, rip your mind from the what ifs? The worst case scenario that you could possibly dream up. And that's what we do. And then we begin to, uh, fear rises up. But if we always remember this truth, that God is, it's one thing that he's with us, but he's also for us. Listen to Zephaniah, uh, one of my favorite verses uh, in all of Scripture. Chapter 3, verse 17. Just jot that verse down. We don't have it on the screen here. <clears throat> it says this. First of verse 16, it says, cheer up. Whoa. Cheer up. He's talking to Israel, but the application is that. Cheer up. Why? For the Lord your God, 
is living among you. And guess what? He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. That's a powerful verse. He will calm all of your fears. Okay, now listen to this. He rejoices over you with joyful singing. Now, when I read that verse, what I like to do is to close my mind, close my eyes, and in my mind, picture my father looking over and looking at me and singing over me with gladness because he loves me so much. Isn't that good? I mean, that's what Scripture teaches. But how many of us actually believe that in our mind? We close our eyes and we stop and say, God, God is leaning over and he's looking down and I have his righteousness because of Jesus Christ. He switched and took my sin, gave me his right. He looks over and he sees I'm completely righteous and he sings over me with joy. It's fantastic truth. So it's a battle. We have to do battle though. We take the what ifs and we throw them out and we stand on the truth that God is with us and God is number one for us. Second truth. Let's go to Mark chapter 6 and verse 45. I'm just going to read one verse here because it's a different storm. Same kind of story, but a different storm. Immediately after this, Jesus insists that his disciples get back into the boat. Immediately after he feeds the 5,000, then notice this. Jesus insists that his disciples, why did he have to insist? Because they remembered the last storm. <laughs> All right? He's making them get in this boat. Now, I don't want to, Lord, because I remember the last time we were afraid of drowning, but we're also afraid of you because we saw this mighty power where the winds actually listened to you. Okay? So he insisted that they get back in the boat and they headed across the lake to Beersheba where he's, why he sent the people home. So here's what happened. So he feeds the 5,000. They're all gathered around. He sends the disciples over. He sends the people home. Then he goes up into a mountain. If you read the rest of the context, he goes up into the mountain and he's up there praying the rest of the day and till three o'clock in the morning. He's up there at three o'clock in the morning and he's praying and he's watching the disciples and all of a sudden there's another storm comes up. And Jesus sees the storm. He's praying, he's on the mountain, they're in the sea, and yet Jesus sees them in the storm. The second truth is, God is always watching and will deliver. But it's a fight to know these facts and to move it into belief and practice them. He's on the mountain and he's busy praying, doing these things, and yet he's watching the disciples the whole time as they walk through or roll through this storm. They get nowhere. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, a very familiar verse to all of us. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. The problems and the trials that you go through, Satan tries to lie to you, say, they're just yours only. And God is being mean to you. You know, he's not being fair. But notice what it says, all the trials and temptation, everybody else goes through them. Okay? And here's the great thing. 
and God is faithful. Stand on that truth. God is faithful. That he will not allow the trials, the temptations which you go through, to be more than you can stand. Okay? When you are tested, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. Did you see that? How many of us, when we think of that what if, we don't think there's a way out? When that fear comes up and rises up, we don't think of that God is faithful and that he's going to deliver us. We think of us going down. We think of the worst case scenario and it literally robs us of our joy. It robs us of our faith. It robs us. uh, We're walking around fearful. Now we got a mask on so nobody knows it, but inside we're full of fear rather than full of faith. What this verse tells us is that God will always make a way for us to escape. He might end the trial right now. He might encourage you to keep on going. He might give you wisdom to figure out another angle. He might give you someone to help you carry the burden. But the truth is, you can fight your fear with this fantastic truth that he's watching and he is faithful and he will always, according to this scripture, he will always deliver. Why? Look at Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3.12. The eyes of the Lord are always on the righteous. Why? Let's go to another verse. Um, Do you have Isaiah 3 and 4? Put Isaiah 3 and 4 up there. Now, we read verse 1 and 2. It says this, verse 3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. (laughs) Just just to study that is is amazing. I gave Ethiopia and Sebra in your place. Verse 4. Others were given in exchange for you. I tread... I traded their lives for yours because you are, what? Precious to me. You are honored and I love you. It's, it's not that you are sold this wonderful person, that you are precious. Okay? It's the fact that God has declared you precious. It's the fact that you are precious. He declared you precious in his eye. You are valuable. Why does he always make a way of escape? Because you are valuable in his sight. You. Yeah, but. No, you. Yeah, 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 but, but, but. See, this is the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is to or it's for us. The New Testament to us. And First Peter tells us that we are precious in his sight. the fact this is a fact this is a truth rather than looking at your life and all the problems and the struggles you look at these in the in in the eyes of this truth you take the what ifs and you put them under this truth that god knows exactly what you're going through and he has promised to deliver you here's the catch in his time you will be delivered if you're a child of God, and if you're walking with him, the deliverance will come quicker. 
Why? Because he blesses the eyes of the Lord. Second Chronicles. The eyes of the Lord are looking down on the righteous and is looking on the believers. And when you live your life the way he wants you to live, then he pours out truckloads of blessings on your life and on my life. Blessings come with obedience. Or you can say it this way. Obedience always brings blessings. Always. There's no way around it when you're walking with the Lord. Guaranteed blessings. There are going to be trials. There's going to be troubles. But you have this wonderful promise that He's always watching. He knows and He will deliver. Number three. So, grabbing your mind. Instead of putting your faith in all these what-ifs and you're fearful of all these things, place your faith in God's word, his truce, that he's always with you and he's always for you and he's always watching and he will always deliver. (laughs) It's great stuff. This is foundational truths that can change your life if you have faith in them, if you believe them, if you memorize them, if you meditate them, and you begin to chew on it, and then put it into practice. It literally will revolutionize your life. Matthew chapter 14. Let's go to another storm. Actually, it's the same storm, but we're going to look at the rest of it. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22 through 32. Now, again, we're not going to read the whole thing because we don't have time. We're going to read a lot of it. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted the disciples get back into the boat, cross the other side of the lake. While he sent the people home, after sending them home, he went up into the hill by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there praying alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land. For the strong wind had risen and there was a, they were fighting heavy waves. Three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were frightened in their fear, and they cried out, it is a ghost. Jesus again says to them, don't be afraid. He said, take courage. Now notice this, I am here. And of course, Jesus says, hey, if that's really you, Lord, help me. I want to walk on water. So Jesus says, come. Peter steps out of the boat and Peter begins to walk on water. Now, just a very simple thought here. And that is this. Jesus tells the water every step he takes to harden so I can walk on you. Harden. Harden. Because Remember when, Jesus, when Peter went down? What did Jesus do? Reached out and grabbed him. He was that close. So where Jesus is standing is solid, Peter's going down. <laughs> Jesus tells the water what to, that's. This is mind-boggling. Watch this. Water, not everywhere. Water in that bottle, come out. Come out. All right, doesn't it, does it, does it, does it even compute in our minds, does it? Seriously, 
It doesn't even compute. How, the only tenth, that's the only way I can make water obey me. It's when I force it to obey me. God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to preach the message for the Ninevites. Jonah says, no. I get on a ship to Tarsha. He's going the opposite direction. God literally, the Bible says, sends a storm. So the wind is crashing against the ship. The waves are crashing on the ship. And they think they're going to die. And Jonah said, if you throw me overboard, it's the only way to save your life. In other words, Jonah says, I want to die. So they throw Jonah overboard. But Jesus, God sent this storm. He commanded the waters to hit the ship. Then he prepares, and that's what the Bible says, he prepares a great fish. So when they throw him overboard, the fish is right there so Jonah doesn't drown, swallows him up, and he's able to live in this fish for three days and three nights. Then the fish goes back to Nineveh, spits him up on the shore. Basically, God's saying, what'd you say? I didn't quite hear you. So he goes to Nineveh and he preaches the word. The point is, God is in control. Vastly in control. So he goes and preaches the word. He goes up on the mountain because he wants to see what Nineveh is going to do. The sun's beating down and God says, okay, uh, I'm going to send a plant. And we're using the word sin. I'm going to send a plant and it's going to come up over Jonah and it's going to shade him. So it does. Jonah gets an attitude because he sees Nineveh repenting and he gets mad. God sends a worm to eat the plant. What's it tell you? God is in control of the very small details and of the magnitude details of our lives. There was a time when when Satan was walking in heaven and God asked him, what are you doing here? He says, I'm just walking to and fro through the whole earth, seeking, you know, whom I can pounce on. He said, have you ever considered my servant Job? That's what he said. He's, God said that to, to Satan. And Satan says, well, I can't even touch him because you have this hedge around him. I can't get to him. Man, that's powerful. And then God says, well, go ahead and touch all his possessions and all these things, but don't touch him. In other words, God puts Satan on a leash. Now it's full. That, that doctrine is full chalked in the New Testament. But the point is, even Satan can't touch you unless he goes to God. And then God's got him on a leash when he touches you where God said you can't touch him. He pulls back Satan. Whoa. Grab that. Grab that. Because you can use that truth to fight your fears of the what-ifs, that God is in the control of the affairs of man, and I'm precious in his sight, and if all things work together for good, then I'm leaping for joy, because his controlling, he wields everything under his control, and it's all for my good and his glory. Whoa. Now, it's not that all the world's wheeling around me, it's all about him. But for some reason, he's invited me in to his story as a vessel to reach other people so that he can glorify himself in them. It's fantastic. But the the, the truth is, 
we don't have to be afraid. He said it over and over. And by this time, you'd think the disciples would get it, but they don't. So it's okay that you don't get this yet. It's okay that you're not fearless yet. But after the resurrection, they willingly gave their lives. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. I want you to see this. After resurrection, they're finally getting this truth. Okay? So in the beginning of chapter 4, John and Peter have to go in and stand before the religious people of the day, which hated Christ, killed Christ, and they hate his followers and his disciples. Okay? So they bring him in. The priest and all the religious people threaten Peter and John and say, I don't want you preaching at all in this name. Bottom line is, what we did to Jesus, we'll do to you. The Bible says they threatened them and then sent them out and said, do not preach in this name. Now, so Peter and John come out and they gather the church around them and they begin to explain all that transpired with these religious people. Now look with me at verse 24, 23. As soon as they were free, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priest and the elders said. Verse 24. When they heard the report, all the believers, look at this, all the believers that were there, lifted up their voice together in prayer to God. Now notice what they said. O sovereign Lord. That's a good way to start your prayer. They got it. O sovereign Lord, creator of the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. They're fighting the fear that's trying to rise up in their hearts. The what if scenario. What if I keep on preaching? They're going to drag us in and they're going to kill us. They're fighting this by standing on this wonderful truth. Let's keep on going. He said, creator of the heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. And he goes on talking. You spoke long ago by, your, by the Holy Spirit through, your, through our ancestor David, your servant, saying. And then he goes on and he talks about how everybody's rising up against God. And they're fighting against God. And then in verse 27, they're still praying. And they say this. In fact, this has happened in this very city. Now follow. For Herod Antipas... Pontius Pilate, the governor. So you got two authorities. The Gentiles, which were Gentiles, okay? We're non-Jews, we're Gentiles. And the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. So you have, basically, you have the whole world coming against God, united against God's plan, and then notice what the verse says. They're getting it. Verse 28. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Now follow this. Everybody's united against the Lord. They're spewing out this hatred to do one thing, and that is to fulfill the plan of God. 
They're united. They're the enemies of God. And yet God is using them to fulfill His plan. That's enough to have a Pentecostal Baptist shouting fit that your enemies who comes against you, God's going to use it to bring about His plan. We've got to make application. It's just not a fact over here and we just read it and we go on about our lives. It's a truth that we've got to make application to as Christians. That when these people come against us, instead of us getting mad and spitting and hollering, just rah, and acting like a Christian shouldn't act, if we understand this fact, notice what happened here. Follow this. Verse 29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give to your servant great boldness to preach your word. Notice it said, Lord, give me boldness to beat this guy down. Did you know that? <laughs> Didn't say that. To stand up for myself. Because these people are wicked. These people are evil. Uh, no, to cut them with my words like they're cutting me. No, just this, Lord, help me to do nothing to preach your word so they're cut to the heart so they can know who you really are. So, so they get it. Now, we're going to get to the last one in just a moment. They get it. The what-ifs that they were so fearful of drowning, being drowned and Jesus is sleeping, and then being nobody knows what we're going through while he's up on the hill. You know, they're, they're finally putting it all together, and they get that God is with them and for them. He's watching to deliver. He's in control to bring about his glory and his plan for your best interest mind-boggling that all this actually is a reality but the truth is god is sovereign to bring about his plan in your life okay now let's go to the last number four okay let's go to one more scripture <clears throat> let's go to isaiah 54 17 one of my favorite verses i put to memory okay no weapon formed now this is new king james no weapon formed against you, again, Israel, but the application is a shall prosper. Now, let's think about that. No weapon to, to destroy us. No weapon, whether it be a car, whether it be a phone, whether it be a text, whether it be words. No matter what it is, there's no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. You, as a child of God, will have the last word. Actually, God will have the last word, but, all right? Fantastic verse. And then if you go on, there's some great stuff there. But here's the idea, okay? God is always victorious. He's always going to win. And they say, ah, it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem like God's always victorious. When you look back to the Garden of Eden, does it seem like God was victorious there? Saint came in, had this perfect world, and he brought them down. And now having baby is very painful. Women, do you think God won then? 
I mean, you're going through, well, you've been through pain, or you're going to go through pain. A couple of women here are pregnant. I mean, you're going, it's going to be tough. <laughs> and I know you've been there before, but it's not a pretty picture. Now, my wife was very gracious to me. And um, when she was having her children, I was always there. Well, you're glad I was there, right? Amen. But she, she'd always turn her head and her nose would flare. And she wouldn't say anything while I was there. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? I'd walk out of the room and all of a sudden, ah! She did it for me. She went through that. She didn't want me to freak out because I went, boom! Right? She knew what kind of person I was. Okay? And then sweating, you know, working by the sweat of our brow. I mean, that doesn't seem victorious, does it? Well, you, you go to the cross. It doesn't seem like God won. Does it? I mean, it just seems like God's not winning. The garden, the cross. But when you go to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, where it says Satan and the, the beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire where they will burn forever and ever and be tormented day and night forever. Seems to me, don't you think, that God's victorious. <laughs> They're getting it. And we've got to get it as well. Luke chapter 16. Go in your Bibles there. Did I give you that verse? 16, 25? Okay. So in, in Luke chapter 16, we have this rich man. Okay, and we have Lazarus. Rich man has, has this wonderful lifestyle. Okay? Wonderful lifestyle. He's got all the money he needs. All the food he needs. I mean, he's wealthy. Everything this world could offer, he has. All kinds of friends. This great big house. Well, guess what? Lazarus didn't have any food. The Bible says that he was licking or, or eating the, the crumbs that dropped from the rich man's table. <laughs> that, Lazarus was a Christian. The lost person wasn't. The rich man wasn't a Christian. Okay, so, so we have, doesn't seem like God's winning there, does it? Over here, he's got all the food. He's, he's, he's fair sumptuously every day. And the Christian's eating. The rich man has this great, great health care plan, right? Lazarus, the Bible says, the dog came and licked his sores. That's his medicine. No friends. Rich man had all the friends. He had everything. Everything that you could think of, the rich man had. The biggest house. Lazarus didn't even seem like he had a house. So you would think, you'd think in your mind, okay, that this picture, the rich man won because he had more toys. He had more toys. The, the house, the food, the, the health care plan, the future retirement is all his. You'd think he'd win, right? Look at verse 25 with me. Let's look at this verse. It says, But Abraham said to the rich man, Son, remember that in during your lifetime, you had what? Everything you wanted. And look, and Lazarus had nothing. It seemed like Lazarus lost. That's what it seems like. Well, seriously, that's what it looks like. But now, so now, he is here being comforted 
and you are in anguish. Here's the, here's the catch. Lazarus' anguish, now this was God's plan. Lazarus' anguish, maybe 40 years probably, 30 years back then, who knows? Wasn't very long. The rich man's, so his, his discomfort was 30 years. The rich man only had 30, 40 years of everything he wanted. Today it could be 80, 90 years of everything he wanted. And the Christian had nothing. But the point is, in the end, God is always victorious. Always, always, always. You can count on it. The rich man is in hell burning for all eternity and Lazarus is comforted for all eternity. God is always victorious. So the key is get on his side, amen? Get under his blessing. Don't let fear rob you of your faith in these fantastic truths that God is with you, that God is watching. You're never going through what you're going through alone. That God is in control and he's always victorious. Don't let fear grab you and keep you from God's plan for your life. Because he has a plan. Each one of you has a plan. And most of the time, fear holds us back. Fear keeps us from stepping out and being all that God wants us to be. Because we place our minds and our trust and our faith in the what-ifs. Let's change all that today. Let's ask God. God, here's four truths. Help me every day to battle in my mind, to do battle with myself in my mind, not to trust in the what-ifs, not to think about the what-ifs, not to dwell on those things we have no control over, but trust and dwell on these truths which give us strength and peace and joy and hope, and confidence, and boldness, where nothing can stop us from fulfilling the plan of God. Nothing. Let's all stand this morning. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, just for a moment. Now I know, I've talked to many of you, fear is controlling our lives. We're going to give you an opportunity as they're playing back here softly. We're going to give you an opportunity right where you're at to cry out to God. Ask Him to give you the victory in the battle. Help you in this battle that you have every day with fear and faith. Right where you're at. Or if you want to come down here and pray, that's completely up to you. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Just for this next few moments, why don't you come down here and ask God, cry out to God to help you to place your faith in these four truths and to dispel the fear out of your life. Why don't you come this morning? Right there. Cry out to God. Oh God, help me. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. I'm going to pray for you. But do business with God. Don't just stand there and do nothing. This is a serious, serious battle. And whether or not the power of God is active in your life or whether it's handcuffed and stifled, 
It all begins right here as you do battle. Father, we just come to you this morning. Just thank you for your word. It's so rich and so powerful. And, and Father, we pray that we would move from the mind game to the heart game. That we would move from just the mind thinking of this truth to actually practicing this truth, living, standing upon these four truths. God, give us victory as we battle every day with the what-ifs and the problems that we struggle with. May we just always stand on the truth that you will always deliver us, always deliver us, and you're always going to have victory for the ones that you love. God, help us to stand upon all of that wonderful truth. And Father, we'll be sure to give you the praise and all the glory. For it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. And everybody said? Amen. Lord bless you.